You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> My name is Mac, pronouns she, her, hers, and I'm the producer on the executive council. I typically do things like facilitate Sunday production, Thank you, Sarah, for standing in for me today. Sorry for shouting at you from the sidelines. Um, I help enforce COVID compliance. I manage our events calendar. And on Sundays, you typically see me up here doing the announcements or the liturgy. But I've never stood before you to preach. I love telling stories, though, and having conversations with you all. So that's how I'm thinking of this message, telling some of my story and having an honest conversation with you. For those who maybe didn't grow up in the church or somehow dodged the religious and societal pressure to stay pure until marriage, uh, AV, you can put those slides up. Um, This societal pressure in the 90s accompanied often by purity rings, purity pledges, purity balls. Here's a... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You already know my opinion. Here's... um, a definition of purity culture from Linda K. Klein's website. She's the author of the book Pure. The term purity culture is generally associated with the white American evangelical Christian purity movement and the corollary purity industry launched in the early 1990s. However, evangelicals don't have the monopoly on the ethics of the, that undergrad purity culture. The specifics may vary. Mormons, for example, use the word worthiness instead of purity while Muslims say honor culture instead of purity culture. But the foundation of gender and sexual control upon which purity culture stands is global, cross-religious, and cross-cultural. In purity culture, gender expectations are based on strict, stereotype-based binary. Men are expected to be strong, masculine leaders of the household, church, and to a lesser extent, society. Women are expected to support them, to be pretty, feminine, sweet, supportive wives and mothers. So, when I heard that I was kicking off the series, the sex positive series, with this topic, I may have broken into an anxiety sweat and thought to myself, I didn't even go through sex ed or get the sex talk as a kid. How am I supposed to preach on sex positivity? And then after a large glass of water and some box breathing, I thought to myself, ah, yes. I didn't go through sex ed as a kid, and I didn't get the sex talk, and now I get to stand before my church as an out, unmarried gay woman and preach on sex positivity and unlearning purity culture and shame. All right, God, challenge accepted. When I was 14, I was dating a guy two years older than me who went to my youth group and to my public high school. We were sitting in the courtyard at lunch one day with some friends and the topic of sex came up. I very confidently blurted out, oh, we're waiting till marriage. (laughs) And I saw the color drain from this poor kid's face. (laughs) We are, he said. You're not, I replied. Can we do other things? I mean, what counts as sex, really? 
Ah, uh, yeah, the age-old purity culture teen question. The same year, I found a tumor in my breast. Yeah, at 14. Luckily, it was benign and was removed without any complications, but my doctors did advise me that this, along with my unmanageable periods, was a sign of hormonal imbalances that could likely be curbed by going on the pill. My mom did not want me to go on the pill because she feared it would encourage me to have sex with that same boyfriend. I guess she didn't believe me very much when I said I really didn't want to have sex with him. It took me years to realize that I wasn't good at staying pure because I was this perfect Christian girl. I was good at staying pure because I was a closeted queer kid blinded by purity culture. Hindsight, am I right? When I was 18, I left the church for the first time. I was a senior in high school and told my small group that I was applying to pursue musical theater in college and ultimately a career in acting. They were mortified. One girl seriously started crying and said that she feared for my purity. Another girl could not even look at me. She just was silent looking at the floor and eyes darting over to our small group leader. And I looked to my small group leader too with shock and sadness in my eyes and then my trust was really shattered. She said she felt I was worshiping the devil by pursuing something so promiscuous. She said it was fine that I did drama club as a hobby in high school, but as I entered adulthood, I needed to think about how my choices and my career and the circles that I walked in would affect my future husband's view of me. <laughs> they prayed over me that night, asking God to guide me to the light. God guided me the heck out of that church and into the safety of solo worship in my bedroom for the better part of a year. I was closer to God alone in my bedroom, strumming the same four chords on my guitar than I ever was in the four years that I went to that church. This was the same church that two years prior had a gay speaker come, and he preached on being gay. It wasn't a sin, but acting on it was. Leaving that church was my first taste in listening to myself and listening to the spirit within me instead of listening to the lies of others that are rooted in toxic, misogynistic fear, rooted in the lies of purity culture. When I was 21, I had sex for the first time and discovered that I didn't burst into flames after all. I didn't feel like chewed gum or crumpled up paper, or whatever other sick comparison your youth group teacher made. I also discovered that while I was lucky enough to have safety and trust and care there, my soul wasn't forever tied to that person. And even though I knew that, part of me, no, the shame that was drilled into me still believed that I should probably marry him. And I even asked my collegiate pastor at the time if he'd officiate the wedding. We never got engaged. We broke up a few months later. And the shame spiral got louder. I know now that my stories are not unique, but talking about them in church kind of is. And living through them was really freaking lonely and left me feeling 
deeply ashamed. A lot of us experienced a lot of hurt, and we don't know a way forward, especially in the context of church. I posted on a few social media platforms asking what you'd want to hear in a sermon about unlearning purity culture, and I got a few light replies. Here are some. Here's some more. And some more. There are so many examples of hurt within your replies, so much longing for a new version of the story. When Jonathan saw me after these posts, we laughed because there are just too many avenues to go down here for one sermon. But now I'm realizing that was exactly the point. Unlearning something so hurtful, really deconstructing in general takes time and practice and can't be undone in one sermon or even one series. But what is clear to me from those responses is that we have a shared experience of being hurt by false teachings and understanding that it's all a lie that we want to leave behind, and yet we're all here at a church seeking something from an organized religious institution. And even though for many of us we intellectually speaking know that purity culture is a toxic myth, we haven't been given what we really need to move forward, and so that leaves us with lingering shame. I want to recognize that for some of us, this shame and sometimes accompanying trauma is still debilitating. If that's you, I encourage you to talk with your therapist about whatever's coming up. I know I certainly needed to. If you don't have a therapist already, you can seek help and resources um, from the care team. Go to ForefrontNYC.com help and they can refer you. Today in this context, though, I don't want to solely dwell on the hurt. This is a systemic problem in churches. Is there a systemic solution? We already know that the hurt is there. Recovering from the trauma and deconstructing bad theology is a personal journey and it takes different lengths of time for everyone. And here at Forefront, we welcome that journey. We meet you where you're at and ideally we'd like to offer you some kind of hope that you'll find something better on the other side. Listen, I don't have the answers, but in true forefront fashion, I've got questions. I'm interested in asking, what do we want to see come from the next 500 years of Christianity? How can we move from sex toxicity to sex positivity? I know before I truly examined that question for myself, I wasn't in the right mindset to receive something like a sex positive series in church. In case some of you are feeling that way, I want to talk us through some things that maybe can help set us up to really receive the good news of the sermons to come. Sermons on what the Bible really says about sex, on liberating our bodies, on great sex, on sex work. As therapist and theologian and host of Queerology, Matthias Roberts says in his book Beyond Shame, Ultimately, what we're moving toward is a life lived abundantly beyond shame. 
Instead of covering our eyes and hiding from everything sexual, we will learn to stop turning away from our bodies, our sexuality, and our feelings, and turn toward knowing ourselves and finding freedom. I hope that by doing this work, we can come closer to embracing the abundant life Jesus came to give us, not a life defined by rules and moralistic requirements, but a life that is genuinely life-giving. That sounds good to me. I think where a lot of churches get it wrong is by not normalizing talking about sex truthfully to begin with. And I don't mean the classic young, white, married, straight, cis, horny male preacher standing before his congregation talking about how great sex is with his wife while she's typically cringing in the back of the sanctuary while simultaneously saying sex is bad and dangerous and icky if you're unmarried. I mean, come on, bro. I mean, really talking about sex in an honest and truthful way. What does that look like for us? In listening to Linda K. Klein, both on our Forefront podcast as well as on the podcast God is Gray, I recognize that healing really begins when we tell the truth. When we talk up here about our depression or about coming out or whatever it is that we're trying to destigmatize, the myths become exposed as jarringly as when the lights turn on in the club at the end of the night. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so why don't we do the same when we talk about sex? Hey, A.V., can we get those comment screenshots up again? When we tell the truth like this, something shifts. Purity culture is a movement with the goal to control women into being quiet and meek for the rise of men. When we stop making ourselves small for men's egos, when we begin to expose the lies that have held us back and harmed us, we suddenly give ourselves and others permission to break free, realizing we were never alone in this. The first step forward for me was to embrace honesty and truthfulness with myself and with God. Bless you. The first step is to stop hiding. The minute I stopped hiding and making myself small to try to fit this purity culture standard was the minute I actually opened my eyes and heart enough to truly know God, not the other way around. So I'm not going to hide from you that I live with my girlfriend and I have sex. And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm also at a point in my life where I don't feel the need to compartmentalize church version of me over here, human version of me over there. But getting to this point took a lot of time and a lot of deconstruction. I've been reading Glennon Doyle's book Untamed recently, and when I read this quote, I immediately burst into tears. Hashtag weepy staff. While I carried on with my outer life, I felt an electric restlessness buzzing inside me. It was like a constant thunder rolling right there beneath my skin, a thunder made of joy and pain and rage and longing and love too deep, scalding and tender for this world. It felt like hot water simmering, always 
threatening to boil. I cried when I read it because that is exactly how I felt for years. Fearing what would happen if I boiled over. When I was 26, I had fallen into the deepest depression I had to date. I'd broken up with another long-term dud of a boyfriend and decided to make one last ditch effort at finding a church and reconnecting with God. You see, I had taken a three-year break from going to church and my attraction to women just couldn't be suppressed anymore. This time, I had no choice but to boil over. This time, I stumbled into forefront and found myself and found God again. I came out to myself in that service. I took communion, and I entered what would be the most transformative next two years of my life. A year of forefront deconstruction later, I had a job offer to be on staff. <laughs> and all the shame and fear from my past and purity culture came bubbling to the surface, and I asked Jonathan, how am I supposed to conduct myself in life and on social media now that I'm on staff? I'm not married, I said. And I'm queer. And I'm a woman. <laughs> he just sort of chuckled under his breath. Bless his soul, <laughs> and said, Yeah, we know. <laughs> and so is a good chunk of our congregation. It was then that I finally started to realize that being unmarried or a sexual being isn't a bad thing, it's a human thing. Jonathan advised me to just navigate dating with integrity, which I hope we all aim to do. I asked if dating in the church was allowed, <laughs> and he gave me the same advice. Navigate with integrity. <laughs> you may be thinking, okay, Mackenzie, this is all fine and dandy, but what about the Bible? Right? What about the verses where all these traumatic rules about sex and our bodies come from? And you're right, if we're really trying to unlearn purity culture for good, then we need to reinterpret the scripture that's been used to harm us. And while there are plenty of people who do scriptural analysis super well, and you've been, you will be hearing from them in the coming weeks, I'm the one preaching today, so I get to reimagine <laughs> scripture out loud. <laughs> And I encourage you to do the same. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4 through 8 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. 
Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Okay. Ick. These verses still sting. But in my research for this sermon, I came across something very interesting. When the words or phrases sexual immorality or fornication come up in the Bible, it's being translated from the Greek word porneia. Porneia is super hard to define, and no one seems to be able to agree on a single definition. In Robert's book, seriously, go read Beyond Shame, it's great. Uh, he emphasizes and celebrates that ambiguity in the text. Scripture is not inerrant. So when we read verses like flee from sexual immorality, we get to interpret the answer because the answer is purposely not universal. I know that takes more work. It's not as simple as clear-cut boundaries. Some of us who did wait till marriage have shared how discouraged and deceived you felt when, shocker, sex didn't fulfill that false promise of being this easy, magical thing on your wedding night. <laughs> Some married people have really bad, unhealthy sex or worse. Some people have premarital sex that is truly one with the divine. Listen, I'm not telling you to definitely have sex before marriage. But I'm also not telling you to definitely wait. What I'm saying is that it's not a binary scenario. Clearly, the old way of talking about sexual ethics in church isn't working for us anymore. So what can we lean on? What does honor God with your bodies mean for us today? I don't know that I have the answer, but I do have some ideas. For me right now, honoring God with my body is looking like not forcing myself to marry a man, because that lie would just push me further and further away from God, which is the opposite of what we want, right? It looks like going to therapy and talking about all this. <laughs> Honoring God with my body in this moment is standing before you. As a queer, full-figured Mexican woman with short hair because I did not get that kind of representation growing up in church. It looks like getting good sleep or drinking lots of water, eating nutritiously. I guess what I'm saying right now is that honoring God with my body is honoring the body that God gave me. What I'm suggesting to you all is lean into the ambiguity of the Bible's text. What I'm suggesting, whether you're unmarried or have been married 50 years, whether you have sex, want to have sex, or have no interest in sex at all, is exercising our God-given human abilities of practicing discernment, navigating with integrity, challenging and questioning everything, claiming bodily autonomy, confirming consent both with your partner and with yourself. Now I'm 28 years old. It was 10 years ago that I first really began questioning the church 
questioning the man-made rules, questioning why it was seemingly such a bad thing to exist in this body that God made me? At Forefront, we invite questioning. We may not always have clear-cut answers, but when we are finally able to be honest with ourselves and our peers, our small groups, our uncommon kinship, and ask the tough questions, share the real life experiences, and collectively seek Jesus together, we are already destroying the teachings of purity culture. The oppressors didn't want us to talk to each other, and they certainly didn't want us to have questions. We are reclaiming our power by the very nature of going to forefront. I wish it didn't take me 10 years to get here, but I made it by the grace of God. Klein went on to say in one of the podcasts, if I am not alone, then I am not the problem. Say that with me. If I am not alone, then I am not the problem. Purity culture is something outside ourselves. Yes, we may have internalized it, but it doesn't define us. It's something that we can heal from together. And like Glennon Doyle says in Untamed, I've held my tongue so hard I tasted blood trying to be gentle. I've denied myself for decades trying to be pure. I don't know about y'all, but I am done denying myself. I'm done denying the wonderful, whole, colorful, queer person that God made me to be. What are you done with? I invite you to dream with me in the comments. What do you imagine for the future? Imagine a world where age-appropriate sex education is given to kids as early as they can talk. Imagine a world where emphasis on teaching consent and body autonomy is valued as highly as teaching kids to walk. Imagine a world where in church there wasn't a purity class separated by girls and boys. There wasn't a hyper-focus on sexual temptation, but classes on fruits of the Spirit and how to foster healthy friendships and healthy relationships and eventually healthy physical relationships. When I think of the next 500 years of Christianity in this way, I get excited and hopeful. I dream of those slightly younger than I, or maybe not younger in age, but at the start of their deconstruction journey, not taking a decade to get here, but a year or even a month to unlearn and reconstruct. Better yet, I dream of our kiddos and the kiddos to come. I dream of Sunday school and youth group teaching our kids the politics of Jesus, how to live a justice-oriented life and leaving behind the focus on heteronormative purity culture shaming so there's no unlearning even needed anymore. There's only endless possibility and hope in following Jesus. When you think of your future, what do you see? What oppressive layer of lies are you deciding to shed today? Speak it into existence. 
Write it in the comments, text it to your small group WhatsApp, or even just email it directly to me or your therapist if you don't want it on blast. But the point is, speak your truth to someone. Let it be known. Listen to other people's truth. Release the tension of purity culture that has been holding us back since the 90s and come back next week open for a new story. Even if it's kind of scary to hear sex positivity from the pulpit. If I'm being honest, it's pretty scary to preach on it. But what I know to be true is this. You don't need to make yourself small here. We are all the body of Christ. We are all made in God's image. All of you, Mike, and all of you, soul, mind, and body. And as Glennon Doyle says in Untamed, there is no glory except straight through your story. I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk truthfully. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to follow the life of Jesus, not follow the man-made rules that are given hyper-focus and instead clear our minds to focus on you. We're going into live prayer, and I'm going to stay up here to read your prayer requests aloud. Go ahead and put what your praises are or your, praise, or your prayer requests are in the comments. I'll circle back in about a minute to read them. See if prayer requests are going to start coming in now. Here we go. We're praying for Sarah Francois, the bar exam, take two. Yes, we're praying for you. Praise report is that you graduated from law school and turned 33. It's a miracle to be alive. That is wonderful, Sarah. Destiny, please pray for my surgery, for my shoulder coming up on Thursday to go well and for my short-term disability with, the work, with work to be approved. Yes, Destiny, I'm glad you're finally getting surgery. Yes, let's heal that shoulder. Rebecca, praise uh, to the pr 
uh, pray section. <laughs> Last week I was feeling awful spiritually, and at the same uh, night I read the Bible and God helped me. That's wonderful. I hope requests keep coming in. I think maybe my Wi-Fi is a little, little spotty. Um, but I'm going to go and switch over to the liturgy. God is made known in the miracle of our infant bodies. Oops. Sorry. God is made known in the miracle of our infant bodies. So recently come, you can smell God on the heads of newborns and in the freedom of our child bodies as they wore before shame and self-consciousness entered into them and in the confusion of our pubescent bodies and in the excitement of our teenage bodies as they become familiar with desire and the fire and ice of our young adult bodies as they connect with each other and the mind-blowing magic of our baby-making bodies and the wisdom in our aging bodies and in the so-close-to-God-you-can-smell-God beauty of our dying bodies. Our bodies have carried us through our whole lives and deserve our thanks. We declare to hell with shame. We damn the shame about wanting sex or not wanting sex. Damn the shame about being in a sexless marriage. Damn the shame about pleasure itself. Damn the shame about the harm done to us. And for sure, damn the shame, all that shame about our bodies. For we, for we carry in our queer, straight, cis, trans, fluid, fat, thin, short, tall, hairy, disabled, beautiful bodies, the very image of our creator who has claimed and named us as their own. The voice is in the voice of love, and it is eternal. Amen. Give it up for Mac. Thank you so much, Mac. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.